This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. We're coming out the back of the international break now. We've got a game on Saturday, so we can feel it in our veins. We're getting excited again as we're sitting here with loads of music around us in the George the Fourth pub in Chiswick. And absolutely, as we say, teething tremendous. Fantastic venue, Wednesday nights, live music, absolutely packed to the hilts. The rafters. People are sitting there, they're singing, they're on the tables, they're dancing, they're jumping around. I'm Billy Grant, and I'm sitting here with my chums around the table as we're looking forward to playing Millwall on Saturday. And to the left of me, I've got GP Gary Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, mate. Um, not too bad at all. Just trying to shake this cold that I've had ever since um, the last time we saw ourselves. Uh, it was in a Bristol City game. Tell you something, mate. You know, weather's getting worse, so it's not going to get any better, mate. So you need to start popping those pills down your throat. I already tried that before I had the cold, mate. We've got Ali Malali back in the house. I don't think you've been in the pub this season so far, have you, Ali? It's good to see you again. No, I don't think I've been in the pub at all this season. Um, I've been out running running PBs at half marathons and things like that, being far too healthy, and now that's all over. It's winter, time for beer. Tucking into a, a lot of glass of wine there, but like I said, on your marathon runs this season so far, you've been uh, clocking up a few, a few good times, haven't you? Yeah. I'm too modest to go on about it. Ah, oh, she's too modest to listen to me. We'll get a few more wines down her throat she could talk about that. We've got Laney as well in the house, who is a marathon man, an expert marathon man. Um, but you're doing some marathon chugging of someone else tonight, aren't you? Yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not going to go for the PB tonight. I'm waiting, for the, um, I'm waiting for the perfect conditions after seeing what happened in Vienna last weekend. I'm waiting for like people to set up bowls of chips all the way along like a 26 mile route and then I have lasers and all that kind of stuff so I can make sure I get my beer PB but um, I've just come back from Cairo um, so I've been international this this little break you Egyptian lover yes 
No, there, there wasn't any, no. Just a lot of sand, a lot of, lot of squalor, if I'm honest. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, Millwall coming down on Saturday and I'm looking forward to the, the, the championship season resuming. Excellent. So listen, we're going to go crack right on because we've got loads of stuff to talk about today. If we manage to get it all in, we're going to be talking a bit about Sergi Canals, keep your tickets. We might even mention Phil Brown. We've got the international break that we've just had. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about maybe events that happened with England and Bulgaria as well. It's Black History Month as well, so we might talk about... So we're going to talk about celebrating Brentford players. Top, top, top Brentford players. You know, the favourite Brentford players out there, players who have really made their mark at Brentford as well. And maybe we might even flip into a few things closer to home as to what happened in Bulgaria. And of course, we've got Millwall. Millwall coming down on Saturday. And Harry Warren from Acton Millwall is giving us his view on Millwall. But listen, let's crack straight on after this little twang. We're going to have a little chat about a few things Brentford. So in around Brentford this week, and just in around football in general, we just thought we'd shoot the breeze. Sergi Canos, player who's very, very well liked at Griffin Park. He gives his heart and his soul for the club. He's one of the first players. He beats his brow, he kisses the badge. He's so excited when he scores. He's the first one on Twitter and Instagram to say how he's excited about, you know, if he scores or if the team has won and if they've lost. He's the first person to say, I'm absolutely gutted. And uh, Sergi Canos, this season, he's had a, an OK season. Some games he's been brilliant. Some games he hasn't been brilliant for the whole game, but he's maybe had a good 15 or 20 minutes. But he's had some games where he's actually, you know, he's been our saviour. He's been down the wing, he's terrorised the opposition, he's put the ball into the right area and set up a few goals. And, you know, to be, to be fair, if we didn't have Sergi in the side, we'd probably be struggling quite a lot this season. So... Um, the, 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 there was a bit of bad news that came out when Sergi came off against Nottingham Forest. We saw him come off, didn't think it was a big deal. We thought it was a tactical substitution as we did at the time, where they took off Sergi and we put on Pinnock. And that didn't go too well, you know. Oh, that's right, no, that's right, no, that's right. We went down to 10 minutes, that's correct, sorry. There's another game where he came off um, and uh, we went down to 10 men and we thought, okay, no big deal, but we didn't realise that he actually had a very serious injury. ACL injury and he's going to be out for possibly the whole season if not even more which is really really bad news now Sergi Canos was absolutely gutted and you know he actually sort of had a heartfelt message when he sent out to his fans where they had the interview where uh, the positive news was that he signed a new contract I think it was a four-year contract if I remember rightly so he signed this new contract which he had hastened to add that he had negotiated before the injury so he said, look, I signed this contract before the injury. I was really happy with the contract. I got the injury. So when you spoke to him, he's very, very upset about it. Sergi Canos, GP. It's, uh, it's not good news for Brentford if you look at the state we're in at the moment now. And I'm not saying state in a horrible way, but I'm just saying that at the moment we need all the players that we can get. Yeah, I say it's a massive, I think it's a massive loss for us. Um, he has that little bit of spark that can create something albeit he hasn't been scoring goals this season. Um, but, he, you know, there are times, although he's not been at his most consistent, there are times he's one of those players that we've, when we've looked good, he has been on form. I mean, Sergi, he's going to be out for the whole season. We, I mean, we talk about the fact that, obviously, Neil Malpate moved to Brighton and we argue the fact that we didn't replace him 
But sometimes people say we've got a plethora of wingers. But can Sergi be replaced? In terms of um, his enthusiasm and his passion, and he's the one who was wearing his heart on the sleeve, and I think sometimes, especially in a team that's not doing well, you do need that. I don't think he can. I think it'll be interesting now. To, we're, we're probably going to see Brian... I'm not even going to... Brian... Um, Brian Brian get a, a, an extended run in the team. Um, so we'll get to see what he can do and maybe see a bit more of Valencia. So the, the only good thing... Well, not good in inverted commas. This is like you say. It's we do have a lot of wingers. It's not a position where we're struggling for somebody to come in. You know, if if Ollie gets injured, we're probably quite screwed because we've honed out force and Corellis isn't quite there yet. But wingers, I think we we've probably got enough cover that fingers crossed, touch wood, we we can manage. But I'm gutted because I I love Sergio. I love him. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely gutted for Sergi as well. I mean, it was a real roller coaster of a week for him. There was some kind of rumours that started to circulate that the injury that he picked up or the reason that he left the pitch at uh, the city grounds was was more than just a, a minor injury. That it was, uh, you know, a, big, a biggie. Um, you know, the thing that kind of reassures me and should reassure Sergi is that. Brentford have got a, a real great track record of rehabilita- rehabilitating players that with, with similar injuries. Scott Hogan had, had two. Um, Rico Henry has is, is had like knee rebuilds. So and you know Rico Henry as as, a, as an example has come back and he's not you know you would never know. Um, so so all the signs are that the four-year contract that Brentford have offered to Sergi isn't a risk. Uh, you got to see these things in, in, on, on two on, on two levels. Really, it's like, does it work for the player? Does it work for the club? And you know, that's the thing we're going to massively miss about Sergi Cano is, is infectious. He, he's one, he's a brilliant player or a great player. Two, he contributes more than his footballing ability. He actually, he actually kind of um, on and off the pitch, he kind of spreads kind of positivity. And you listen to the way he speaks as well. I mean, what a, what a top lad he is. Um, he, he, he is just the epitome of a great young football player. And I, I, hope, I hope he's not only here for the rest of his career, he's here for longer than that, his playing career. I think he can add... I think he's, I think he's found a new home. And I, and, I, and I honestly think that. I think there's a, like a real affinity between Brentford Football Club and Sergi Canos. You think that his mum's here the whole time, and there's a, a real family bond between Brentford Football Club and the Canos family. So, you know, one, I hope the diagnosis isn't as bad as we all fear it could be. You know, it, it might be three or four months, not nine or ten months. I hope we see him again this season. Um, and I hope he's around the place and he travels away and he can sprinkle his enthusiasm on the players that are out there trying to, trying to take his place in the team. Sergi, you know, we wish you well. Um, you're one of us uh, and, you know, get, get well soon, mate. I echo those sentiments precisely as well, lady. Sergi Canos, absolutely. He's a lovely bloke. He's tremendous. I still remember him on the, the Burton platform that time when everyone was singing to him. And he was smiling. He just didn't know what hit him. And, you know, Brentford fans, you know, two, three hundred Brentford fans were all singing. And, and, and he was just so happy to be there um, at Burton quite a few seasons ago. But listen, Sergi Canos, stay strong. 
get well, mate, and we'll see you back next season, which... Uh, Next season, to be fair, you've signed your new contract and players are gelling, as they say. Next season is going to be our season, as we know. But <laughs> I said it here first, didn't I? Listen, let's move on because... Sorry? I was just say that actually, I know that, um, I know that we've, got actually, we've got a captain, but I think maybe in the same way that um, Kev O'Connor was club captain, maybe there's a role for Sergi Canos to be like, um, like an, an ambassadorial captain's role. Where you know he's he's like he's beyond the person on the pitch who's like leading. He's got more to offer than you know most other people. So maybe Sergi Canos, maybe there's some sort of Brentford ambassadorial role there too. Let's see if that kind of happens at the Griffin Park. But look, we've got a game on Saturday, as we know against Millwall, which we'll talk about a little bit later. As we say, we got Harry from Achtung Millwall podcast is going to tell us all about Millwall but after that we've got a couple of other games then we've got the QPR game of course we're not going to talk about the QPR game because that's on the podcast next week to be honest with you thinking about it we've um, we've not invited uh, an, an opposition fan on the podcast in the pub with us for quite a while I think maybe Fulham was the last one which is a couple of seasons two or three seasons ago like, you know, I know it was a bit, you know so uh, you know we, we, we've decided we sort of shied away from that a little bit but you know Maybe, you know, we had QPR on the podcast a few times now. Maybe it's time to invite them back on. So, well, we've had a few. We've had Clive, we've had Clive from Loft for Words, and we've had, um, we've had the old um, the QPR podcast as well. Uh, Finney, the Finney. Yeah, we had the Finney man in as well. So maybe we might get him in for a few beers next week, which means that we'll be sitting here. We might have to, we might have to move into sort of nearer to QPR zone just so that, so that we can take, take their end, like, you know what I'm saying, as it goes. But listen... You know, we're talking about QPR. However, you know, maybe we might have to go to QPR for this podcast because you never know, a lot of us might not actually be there for the game, the way things are going at the moment now because there's a little bit of ticket malarkey going on. Is there not Ali Malali? Because I know you're hardcore on this, aren't you? Yeah, it's, it, well, it, you know, it's, it's the same as last year, isn't it? I mean, QPR are insisting that we sell the upper tier before we can sell the lower tier. Um, the upper, and not only that, they're insist, they were insistent that we sold the most expensive tickets on the upper tier before we could sell the cheaper tickets on the upper tier. And just tell everybody how much those more expensive tickets are, because some people might not know. Uh, the adult prices were 34 and I believe the concessions were 17 I'd, I'd have to check that. So concessions are, are children and OAPs in yeah. effect. So if there's, you know, if you're going with your, you know, a couple of your kids, it'll cost you what's. 70 quid I worked out for, for the four of us if we paid for the upper gold so that's two adults and two kids it's over 100 quid for, for, to not see a game because the view up there is terrible absolutely um, and the, the, the prices aren't that much cheaper for the lower tier but uh, it's enough to make uh, make a difference you know we I have and I'm sure others have paid less for a train and a match ticket to, to other away matches and, that. and I think leaving aside the fact that 2020 the price is way too high to insist that an away club has to sell to say oh you've got your full allocation but you have to sell the most expensive tickets before you can sell the cheaper not cheap but cheaper tickets it is quite it's got quite a nerve so QPR for me are very in the wrong way and I'm surprised they're allowed to get away with it I think it's quite cheeky Brentford their problem is there is very little point in using the tap system when the majority of people who've got who have season tickets over 
holders with over 3,000 points, even over 1,500 points, are going to want the lower tier. And what's going to happen is if and when it goes on sale, as it did last time, they'll be on Mighty Scramble because it'll be on general sale. And quite possibly some of those who have got the most tap points won't get a ticket. And that's if it even goes on sale. There could be a massive scramble on Friday because they don't release the lower tier at all. OK, just quick, I'm just going to put, 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 go around the table here. I was going to put, put your hands in the air, but this doesn't really work on, uh, on podcasts and radio. But we've got uh, four people around the table here, and I presume that most people around here have got... I mean, I've got over 3,000 tap points. I know, ladies, everyone around here has got over 3,000 tap points. So who around here has bought a ticket for the upper tier as yet? Um, anybody? Yeah, okay. yeah. As I say, to be honest, I had issues last year. Um, yeah, well, like nothing to do with football and tickets, but I've got issues. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, but yeah, I went for it this year because I had a big problem last year. By the time I got and I where I bought my ticket downstairs, I couldn't get into. Went in to go into where there was space downstairs. The stewards wouldn't let me, so there was a bit of a tete-a-tete, and I just simply told the steward to go and get my money out of the till and give it back to me or let me go and see him, sit down and watch the game I'd give him the money for. And I ventured, to be honest, it was just such a rigmarole. I just bought the tickets upstairs, I thought, sod it. So, I mean, that, I mean, it'll not be funny, but that, that actually, not say it doesn't make sense, I mean, you have to do what you have to do, but yeah. basically, you bought a ticket for downstairs so because you couldn't get in, basically, they kind of hoodwinked you into buying a more expensive ticket in an area that you can't even see the game. Yeah, so, I mean, I really do... You know, big grudge having to pay £34 to go to that dilapidated shoebox. It's it's an absolutely horrible situation where Brentford fans are being forced into this kind of, uh, like uh, like a face-off where they want a ticket and they want to get their tickets sorted and they don't want to they don't want to pay the top dollar tickets for you know, they call it they call it gold you know you call it gold silver or bronze but you know I call it 30 shades of brown so like the dog shit brown up upstairs and then like other other brown downstairs you know other browns are available but it's, it's an awful view anywhere you watch it at, at Loftus Road or what you know uh, that, it's not Loftus Road and I, and I and I will have to learn the name of the stadium. Prince Stadium yeah yeah and fair, fair play to QPR for, for, for that gesture it's, it's an, you know it's an incredible gesture to name it after that you know the, the, the young kid that got died that died of um, you know he got stabbed didn't he so uh, I just think that it, this face off between Brentford Fans, they they all want, most of us want to sit downstairs now or stand downstairs. It, it, it's going to sell out. The upstairs will sell out at some stage, so you might as well just allow people to buy buy tickets where you want. You know, it, it's, it's 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 a false it's a false prophecy. I mean, what I will say is that I, I think looking at some keeping your games because I've asked my chums as you know I've got chums from all over different teams and what they do is that they actually only sell tickets in one tier so I think they only sell the upper tier to them because they can only sell upper tier tickets and I think what they might do uh, particular games because especially as QPR are doing relatively well now I think they possibly might sell the lower tier tickets to QPR fans because don't you remember is that the two tiers are different entrances you don't actually mix and match so it allows them to allow QPR fans to go in that tier so they're probably thinking yeah they're thinking if we don't sell out our allocation upstairs they'll offer it to QPR fans and that's the reason why I think they're doing it but QPR have given us the full allocation in inverted commas the full allocation is the upper and the lower 
So they should be allowing us to sell the full allocation, not just to sell half the allocation at a more expensive price. Again, we're going to reinstate the fact, and we don't want to dwell on this because this is, you know, a boring for people because it happens every single year. But we need to reinstate this, and also we also think that maybe we're not telling the club what to do, but you need to kind of (laughs) need to tell them this happened last year and it didn't really work. So QPR did exactly the same thing last year, and look at you, I've not bought a ticket. Last year, I never bought a ticket, and I know that everyone never bought a ticket. They just held out and they sold about 400 tickets or something like that till about two weeks before the match. And at that stage, they thought, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And in the end, they released the lower tier tickets and then they end up selling, you know, thousand odd tickets within a day or a day and a half. And in the end, we actually pretty much sold out the allocation. So we're wondering, why haven't they learnt from that experience? There is one factor here that I can think of, and that is it's a Monday night on TV this time, which will rightly or wrongly put some people off so whereas last year was a Saturday so you're going to get less people wanting tickets but having said that two seasons ago when it was on a Monday night and we didn't have this malarkey two seasons ago of having to sell one tier before the other I think we pretty much sold out both tiers anyway so they know we can do it even if it's a Monday night on TV I'll I'll be honest with you you know it's um, the incentive is not to go or not to buy your tickets and uh, yeah maybe it's what QPR want I, I don't know but I, I, I don't feel massively up for like paying over the odds. I'm not going to pay through the nose for an upper tier seat just just so it's like I, so just so I'm sorted. You know, I it, I just I just think that QPR are, are taking the piss, and we, we have to we have to like just hold hold our nerve. And if you want to go, the only reason I really want to go is just so we don't look like we've mugged ourselves off on TV. But listen, let's move on quickly. Brentford B team, do you know Brentford B team, they won their cup match, didn't they? The London Senior Cup, was it? London Senior Cup, they won the first match, or was it a bye? I can't remember. But they're through to the next round, and they've now been drawn to Hanwell Town. Did you know that in Hanwell yeah. Town? That's a local derby. That's a local derby. And, 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 and I think the question that people are asking are, Hanwell Town, are they going to be selling the, uh, the, 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 the seats before they'd be selling the terrace? Or are they going to be doing them at the same time? I don't know. I hope they're not 39 quid. But the question as well is, well, do you know, and I think you need to know this as well, because Hanwell Town, um, I know a lot of Beast fans are going to go there, but it's a local derby. It's going to be the week commencing the 4th of November. So put that in your diary, probably the Friday, uh, the Monday, the, Monday the 5th, maybe Wednesday the 6th, but probably the Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday the 5th. But also, did you know Hanwell Town, they have got Martin Rowlands at their Christmas party. Are you going to be there? No comment. <laughs> Martin Rowlands. Yeah, at the Hanwell Town Christmas party. So it's international break, and we are going to talk about what happened in the international break. So we've just come off the international break, and if you cast your minds back to a month ago, we were just about to play Preston. We'd before the break beaten Derby three 0 We were so excited because we looked fantastic in that game, and we sat in the podcast. We had the week off. We sat in the podcast, and we said, "Tell you what." How many points do you believe we are going to get between now and the next international break? It was five games. And we went around the table, and there's myself, Laney, the Allard, and Jerry the cabbie. I believe I said 11. Laney said 10. The Allard said 10. And Jerry said 10. <laughs> Roughly about that. So 10, 11 points. We were quite enthusiastic. We were quite positive. In the end, 
it came down to we got five points in that period, which is way below where he expected. And I think that's why we probably came out of that break on a little bit of a low. We're sitting around the table here now. We, um, well, you know, we, 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 we didn't go into it on a massive negative. We were all right, you know, draw a few games and a few games. But we've had a couple of weeks to regroup. A couple of players went off in international duty. We've had some positives like Dalsgaard, who got capped again by Denmark, doing very well in the Euros. And to be quite, they're a steady team. Denmark are a proper steady. They're, a, they're like a proper, well-established decent European side and he's the most capped player while he's been at Brentford with 20 caps now so I've got a doff my cap to Henrik Dalsgaard as everyone else stop your cap and clink your glasses to Henrik Dalsgaard for being the highest capped Brentford player ever whilst he's been at Brentford 20 caps but coming back to Brentford we have to ask the question again we've got another international break in a, in a month's time We've got five matches again. We got Millwall on Saturday. We got Swansea. We got QPR. We got Huddersfield, and we got Wigan. If you look at some of these statty people, they believe that the, the next few matches we got are quite easy. If you look at sort of football people, they'll turn around and say there's no easy games here. We got people like you know Huddersfield who are revived with the Cowley brothers in there. You know we got QPR who've got Mark Warburton doing all sorts of nonsense over there. You know what I'm saying? We got Swansea who were top of the league a few weeks ago. And we got the Wall, who are the Wall, who are always like a dangerous side to play because they can do anything with their, with their style of football. So some people may say it's not easy. So we're going to go around the table here to see if anyone's a little bit more or less optimistic as to how we're going to be looking the next international window. GP. Well, as I say, I'm, uh, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not as bullish as I was a month ago, having just watched us destroy Derby County over 45 minutes. Um, I think I'm looking at probably seven points. I think we'll be okay at home, but the fact that we can't play all of our games at home means I couldn't see us dropping dropping points away. Ali? Um, I'm not very optimistic, actually. Um, I'd go for six. Um, maybe two wins or one win and three draws. Where would we get our win? I think we'll get it Saturday. Uh, can't see us getting more than a point at QPR. We're not going to get anything at Swansea. Um, and I think Huddersfield, at high, even at home, would be difficult to get anything for that. And Wigan, we're always rubbish at Wigan. Laney. See, this, this is the thing that worries me the most, is that we're all kind of like downgrading our expectations. You know, we got, we got five points out of uh, 15. In the last, in the last kind of chunk of uh, fixtures, uh, I, I'm going to go for nine, and, and I, but I, I'm going to. I think that's a little bit, um, bit positive, really. Uh, I think we will beat Millwall. I think we get. I think we'll beat Huddersfield, and I think we probably actually might win at Wigan. But I can't see us getting. Well, I don't want to say we can't get anything at QPR, but we're not. We're not playing them at the right time for us. And uh, Swan- Swansea is always just a, a nightmare trip. So, um, yeah, nine points, I'm thinking, is not a bad haul out of the 15. And for me, I mean, I'm looking at seven points, I'm saying. 
I'm going lower than I did last time, which was 10. But um, I, I was going to go far, but I just thought, actually, listen, we, we, we've got to we got, we got to get some results here. So I'm thinking on Saturday, not counting any chickens, but I think that we will get, we, we got to, you know, get a result out of Millwall. And I believe that we will get a result out of Millwall. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get anything out of Swansea or QPR, which is going to be a bit of a gutter as well. But coming back to it, even though they are a revived team, I think at home against Huddersfield, we've got to get three points against Huddersfield, and I think we will get three points against Huddersfield. And I think we'll go up to Wigan and we'll shut up shop and we get a point up there. So I think seven points in the next international break, which I believe probably um, Thomas Frank might be quite happy with. Is that, is that actually good enough? You know, we, we, we've gone around the table and said, you know, what we think, what might happen, <clears throat> what's probable, what we're guessing at. You know, these are only predictions, but, you know, should, we should be we should be aiming way higher than the predictions that we've we've actually said we've stated. You know, for us to get seven points in the, out of fifteen is is really nowhere near the mark that we should, we should be we should be here. I think that comes down to: Do you see any immediate improvement in the team happening? I don't think we can see us maintaining what we've got at the moment, but. Because we can't really see there being a change, we're probably, we just think we're going to go on as we are at the moment. I'm not actually saying that the predictions we've made are wrong. I'm just saying, is is that good enough? You know, you know, we surely we should be aiming way higher. But you've got you've got 15 points on the table, and there's no one apart from Swansea in that in that in that sequence that really should be troubling us if we've spent that kind of money and we've got this kind of squad you know I, I just think that it's a measure of how our expectations are being dampened down I'm not I'm not saying that any of our predictions are wrong necessarily I'm just saying we should be aiming way higher it is a shift though and you know I hate to say this gelling fingers we've talked about this before I'm not going to say it all again but yes there's this whole gelling thing that's got on and it's a shift and we realize that Maybe we can't do the things we want to do. Maybe the players aren't quite right. Sergi Canis has just got injured, so how, how this is going to all fit in? So we put all those things into the pot, and we just kind of think that maybe we're just playing a bit of a holding game. And if you, you know, I said seven points, which is bang in the middle, pretty much, slightly under, which basically means that you're a mid table side. At the moment, we're 17th, and seven points in that, in that break probably means that we should probably be 14th as opposed to. Uh, or 13th as opposed to 17th. So it probably actually means we're probably doing a little bit better than we are doing at the moment now. Ali? Um, what I was going to say is, if you take talk about expectations, if you'd ask the same question about this run of matches at the beginning of the season, I think most of us would have said 12-ish, wouldn't we? And that's it's just our expectations now are way lower than we think they should be. Now, are they lower than what the expectations should be on that group of players. Maybe we just had unrealistic expectations of this group of players. I don't know. I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to go around the table here as well. Now, I mean, we're in a situation where, listen, it's interesting because, um, and, and you said, we went to Nottingham Forest a couple of weeks ago, and a couple of the Forest fans were saying that they quite like Lamucci and the fact that he's come in on a very tight contract, is on a year's contract, and and their owners, listen, we've said this before, and I have to make this point now, people that may have listened to this podcast before, we've said this before, and we don't like the conveyor belt thing where managers come in, they don't perform after three weeks, they get sacked, we don't like that, no. However, we thought it's quite interesting where the Forest fans, they had bought into the idea that Lamucci 
was on a very tight contract and he had to deliver within a very short space of time. So there was no time for messing around. There's no time for, hey, let's wait till these players can gel for a year or two or three years. It's like, boom, he had to come and deliver. So I thought that was actually quite interesting with, with Forrest. Now, with, with Thomas Frank now, he's, he's had his he's one-year anniversary, I think it was a couple of days ago. So he's been here for a year. He knows that everyone loves him. They believe in the style of football he's playing. And they, you know, if we went on a 15-game losing run, as long as he's doing the right things, he's not under any pressure. The question that's been asked in the pub a lot is that, does that also make you not um, um, necessarily hungry and want to change your point of view? So the question I'm going to just put around here, and then you can cover your questions as well, is that if Thomas Frank was sitting here now and we asked him, how many points do you feel that you can get this team in the next international break? What do you think it is? What do you think he would say, Gary? I think he'd say 15. But, no, but, but realistically, he'd say 15. So if he got 14, did we say, you failed? Yeah, that's the attitude you've got to have. That is the attitude you've got to have. You can't afford to go You can't afford to go to Swansea and say, oh, well, you know, the last four years, we well, yeah, times you haven't won here, so we're probably not going to win again. There's no point in playing the game, and that's not... If, if that was his attitude, he wouldn't be hot, Brentford wouldn't employ him. He's got to, you know, you want winners at this club. And winners will have to say, you know, you have to be aiming to win every single game. But, OK, I'm going to say this and I'm going to, I'm going to say something now. But I'm going to bring it up to Ali because I know it's a bit of a bee in her bonnet here. You say you want winners at this club, right? You say you want winners at this club. But at the end of the day, winning is perceived because, again, we use this statistical thing, which we very much buy into. Every week we're watching in for goal and we're watching all these stats and everything like that to see how it is. So we, you say we want winners at this club, but the club is happy as long as we're doing the right things and putting the balls in the right places and creating the right noises and doing the right things. You don't necessarily have to ring as you're doing that. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you are creating winners. You are creating a team that is doing the right things, which isn't necessarily winning. Ali? Are we talking about my favourite subject, XG, here, by any chance? The issue is with XG, it's all well and good, but expected goals do not win you football matches. The only thing that wins you football matches is actually scoring goals. And I have a a bit of an issue at the moment because I think with this attitude towards, oh, but our XG is all right and our possession's all right, but we're not winning football matches, we're not actually scoring any goals. I think we're in danger if we carry on this way and the way we're playing at the moment is sleepwalking into a relegation battle. I mean, there's a flip side argument to that Ali as well is that if you don't put the ball in the right places you ain't going to score the goals anyway. So at least if you're putting it in the right places you have a chance of scoring the goals and the problem is if you're putting it in the right places and not scoring the goals who is, who, where is the problem lie? Does the problem lie in the tactics or in the players who aren't scoring the goals? And that's, that is what we're saying. Problem lies in the fact that we don't actually have a proper centre forward. And Oli, for all the great work that he's done, we're blunting his effectiveness playing him up front. He doesn't have the natural instinct that a uh, centre forward that a Malpe would have done. And you can't blame Frank for that. That that's the club have sold their top scorer and not replaced him. So look, look, listen, we've got to move on because we've got lots of other things to talk about. But I just need to ask a quick question, Laney. I mean, obviously, Martin Rowlands is at the Hanwell Town Christmas party. Have you bought your tickets yet? Yeah, I bought two. 
and, 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 who and give who? And I won't be using either of them. <laughs> listen, we'll be moving on now. I mean, listen, this was the international window, international break. And as you know, England were playing in the international break. They played um, Czech Republic in Prague, and they also played Bulgaria in Sofia. And uh, we were recording our radio show on Monday night. Um, the match was on. We were watching the game, and all of a sudden, it all kicked off where the Bulgarians... They started to basically racially abuse a number of England players. The radio show, we tore up the script and then we started to go in on one about what was happening in Bulgaria, racism, football and other things. So after this break, we're going to have a little clip from that radio show and then we're going to have a little chat about the racism in Bulgaria and in football in general. Yeah, my daughter, I mean, as we're doing the, through the game, I mean, today, um, my daughter, she's only 10 years old, but we, you know, she started to really get into football. Um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit later as well. I mean, I was down at St. George's Park with her actually last week, and she met a lot of these players, including Harry Kane and Chris Powell, who's sitting on the bench here as well, who's a good friend of mine. So she's now watching this. She wanted to watch this game with me today, but I was doing the radio show. So she's watching it by herself, but she feels a bit of a connection with them after seeing them. So she's quickly emailed me because she hasn't got a phone as such from her iPad and said, Daddy, you <laughs> They're winning, you know, they're winning 2-0. But why are the, the Bulgarians keep on booing the England players? You know what I'm saying? And I've, I've had to explain to her to say to her, look, you know, you know, what I've spoken to you about, you know, racism, which she doesn't understand. She just thinks it's really strange. I said, unfortunately, the Bulgarian fans are racially abusing, you know, one of your favourite players, which is Raheem Sterling. So she, this is she's come back with that information. And now she's actually spoken to my wife and my wife's come back to me. We said, my daughter has just said to me that the game might be called off due to racist abuse. So she's only 10, but she understands the implications. She thinks it's stupid. She doesn't understand it. It's really nice when you've got, like I said to you, kids aren't born racist. No kid in this world is born racist. It's something that is actually kind of instilled into them over time by whoever, whether or not it's the environment around you, whether or not it's the friends around you whether or not it's 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 a bigger society so you don't do that so you just wonder you know what what it is that makes people get to that stage because i'm black so i have experienced this all my life you get used to it and you'll know how to handle it and to be quite honest you most of the time you kind of chill with it because you know how to kind of survive in this environment without kicking off the whole time you know what i'm saying if tables were turned and somebody who was white became black for 10 years or so they would it'd be interesting to see what their reaction would be and the things that maybe that maybe i you know on my shoulder i don't even think about you know because you're used to it how they would react to that but the reason why i'm saying that is that there's certain things that probably there's more things that shouldn't happen but there's a lot of things that we kind of allow to happen because that's what you do to try and maintain a bit of a status quo you know what I'm saying? You can't be going around just kicking off the whole time and smashing the place up and getting really angry. So what you just do is that you do certain things. People say certain things. And to be honest with you, you built in the head, you're thinking, that's a bit off. But sometimes you just don't say anything because you think, to be honest with you, you don't want to upset the apple cart as such because there are bigger fish to fry. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for this situation to happen over there now, it's 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 completely and utterly wrong and how do they get from where they are to even remotely kind of where most of the people that i know are because they they just think that this is normal a lot of those people think that this is normal this is fine they don't even understand people talk about education we have to educate them but where do you start so that was a clip from the besotted 
radio show on Love Sport Radio, Monday nights, 8 till 9 o'clock. I was there with XG Dave and Matt in the studio. We were watching the game, the England game, and it flipped into a bit of racism, and we just tore up the script and we just started talking about stuff. And that was me talking about um, a situation with my daughter, who was really upset when she saw the racism that was happening in the game. She's only 10 years old. Like I said to you, I was meant to be watching the game with her, but I had to do the radio show. I was a bit gutted that I wasn't there with her, and I was even more gutted that I wasn't there with her to talk through what was going on, because this is the first time she saw anything like that, and she was really confused. And she ended up, as we say, not even watching the full game. She actually went to bed. She said, I can't take it anymore, Mum. And she went home and she went to bed. She asked me the next morning what was the score. But no, actually, her first question was, did the game get called off? When she woke up in the morning, that was her first question. Did the game get called off? Because she understood the... Com- and, and for me, I'm thinking, and I said to you in that clip as well, I said, you know, no one is born racist. When you're one, you're born one, two, three, four, you're not born racist. It's something that is put into you by either your parents, your family, your friends around you, the institution, your school, you know, your school, your environment around that. And, you know, these are questions that we can go on to a little bit later. But more importantly, that, that whole Bulgaria situation is... Uh, it's probably something that is a tinderbox that has blown eventually, but it was always there and was going to happen, was it not? Yeah, I think we're, you and I are in a bit of a unique situation here where we've actually been to Bulgaria for a, a qualifica- an England qualification game and we were in a very intimidating environment where we were lobbed, there was stuff being lobbed at us throughout the game we 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 like we always do we find chums and we we found a, a, we had a great great time in sofia but after the game in that stadium we walked out and then we ran the gauntlet in the woods where there we knew that there were hundreds of people waiting to uh, say hello to us let's call it that and we, we live to tell the tale, where this week the situation in the stadium was a lot worse. Um, it was a lot more vociferous and the Bulgarians were way more overtly racist and um, confident in that racism than they ever were when we were there. And violent as well, probably in and around the stadium after the game. So I feel massively for the England fans that um, bore the brunt of that hatred. Um, I do have to say equally that uh, you know, following England home and away, which I I have I did for I, I I've stopped now. I did for a while. Um, Billy, you know, st- to his credit, is still doing for the England men's team and the women's team, uh, fair, fair play. So I don't think there's anyone who's better positioned to, to comment on on the situation that England fans and England players faced uh, on, uh, on on Monday night in in, in Sofia. And it's it's just it's just horrible where we're talking about situations off the pitch and, and um, the social makeup of a, of, of a nation instead of the, the game of football it's, it's, it's just horrible we, you know, we, we, we've moved on from that in this country you'd hope and we're trying to, we're trying to correlate uh, a situation in, in, a, in an Eastern European country 
with how it is in London in, in 2019. And it's really difficult. You, you, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to kind of make life the same in those two situations. But, you know, it has to be the same. You know, the, the, the standards and the, the you know, the, the, the term political correctness, you know, like, like, the, like the term political correctness is a bad thing. You know, political correctness is, is, is a barometer of what's acceptable. You know, you, you shouldn't be able to say certain things. That's, is that political correctness? No, that's just decency. It's manners. As we say on Besotted, hashtag manners. Is it, I mean, again, I've just got to just put a little point there as well. You, interesting you say political correctness, which, as you know, I've said this many times in the podcast, such a lazy term for people. I'll say to you out there, and you keep saying about political correctness not bad, it's such a lazy term for people who basically don't like particular things, right? Don't like that people are taking a particular stance. So what you use is the term political correctness. It's just so lazy. It's like somebody saying they've got a chip on their shoulder. Another lazy term that people put out there. I'll just, I'm just putting it, just letting you know, because you have to educate, you have to tell people. As a black person, I'll tell you, political correctness and chipping your shoulder are two lazy terms that you put out there. Um, probably from the 70s and the 80s but you can use them if you want to but mate they're outdated for a start the term political correctness when you use this in this phrase which is to do with racism racism isn't political you can have any type of politics you could be left wing white wing center wing green whatever mass party whatever you may be racism is racism okay right everyone starts to try and associate racism with right wing You've got left-wing people are racist. You've got green people party are racist. You've got all sorts of people, centrist, liberal, this, that, and the other. Racism has got to do with how somebody treats another person. Manners, about the colour of their skin, about where they come from. To a certain extent, about religion, because the religion is... T- certain people from a certain religion are from a certain part of the world, from a certain country. So you know it's not really about the religion. It's about the colour of their skin. That is what racism is about. So if, when, as soon as you start saying it's about politics... You're talking absolute nonsense because it's not. It's about racism and it's wrong. But anyway, I'm going to come to Ali here because Ali is a mum. You know, what is the feeling for you as a parent and seeing what was going on in Bulgaria and, 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 and how are, 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 we, are we doing the right things here? Are we influencing? Are there still... Because everyone's basically pointing the finger at Bulgaria. I think my point is here, Ali, is that... We had something quite horrendous, which, which probably looked like something from 20 or 30, 30 years ago going on in Bulgaria. But even if one thing happens in the UK, it's not acceptable, though, is it? No, one, one, one episode of racism is one episode of racism too many. There's no doubt about it. And individual acts of racism are just as despicable as the large-scale act of racism that we saw on... What night was it? Tuesday night? Tuesday night. Monday night. Um... But, but it's probably the wrong phrase, but you cannot allow the problems that we have in our game to distract from the issue that there is in Bulgaria. Do you see what I'm saying? The have to treat each issue of racism as equally appalling. And I, you have to call it out, you have to call it out, whether it's 200 Bulgarian fans doing what they were doing on Monday night, or if it's one person standing on the terrace at Brentford saying something singing something that they shouldn't be saying it's got to be called out on every level 
but we should not allow the fact that our game and our country is by nowhere near perfect when it comes to this to distract from what happened on Monday night. Yeah, no, so I can only agree. I mean, again, going back to, I guess the thing that really struck me was was the fact there was, you know, the reaction directly after the game. Like, people didn't really see, you know, it's almost like a denial from the Bulgarians and I don't really see it as an issue because, I said, there is no consequence. You saw what happened. It was, okay, guys... You're, you know, off you go, and you saw the um, neo-Nazis leaving, leaving the ground, looking like of their own accord as if they go out, go to the pub, go and wait in the field to attack England fans as they leave the stadium, etc. There's no real consequence, and that is I don't understand that. And what irks me is that they don't have the stones to turn around to UEFA and say, "Well, look, we don't think this is a real big issue." So. I'm not putting up that respect and we're not going to wear, kick it out, you know, against racism t-shirts because we don't believe it's an issue. So what they do is they put on the t-shirts, put the things in the banners, but, you know, as soon as something actually happens, you hear nothing and denials and, well, no, it wasn't him. And, you know, that that's what really gets and frustrates me. I'll tell you something, look, there's a number of things, there's, honestly, I could be here all night. There's a number of things that really frustrate me here. Okay, first of all, I think that the way that the authorities have dealt with it in the past, they're complicit because the fact is that the fact that they have not dealt with it properly means that they're complicit. These nonsense fines that they give them, the fact that they actually play games behind closed doors. Look at that. Well, they closed off a little bit of the stadium because they thought that's going to be a punishment for the Bulgarians. When England played Croatia, as I said the other day on the radio show, they, they didn't allow England fans or Croatian fans into the stadium. Listen, if it's going to be a real punishment, like I said to you, allow 10,000 England fans in, let them have their tickets for free, so they're all turning up and they have a good night, and let them actually have a little bit of a jump around. There's a number of issues that I've got with the whole situation here as to how it's being dealt with. Football clubs in this country are the same. They're complicit with it as well. They have not dealt with the issues. Our club has been the same as well. It has not dealt with issues. What they do is they hide behind a bit of a smoke screen, then every now and again they do these little PR things, these massive PR things to actually say, oh, look what we're doing against racism, but they don't deal with the nitty-gritties. So what we now, you get a situation where it, 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 it festers, it festers, it festers, it festers, bang, and then it blows up. It's blown up in Bulgaria and it's blown up in their face. So the president now has to go out and he has to go, you need to be sacked because you ain't doing your job. Oh no. In Russia, look at the Russians, right? When you get people in Russia who condone what's going on, you're thinking, how can you fix an issue if you condone? You're actually basically patting the people on the back who are racist. Then all of a sudden you think, we've got a World Cup, so what we're going to do throw a load of brown envelopes to these racist people to tell them to shut the fuck up you go on holiday for a month you can come back when everyone's gone home and everyone will say how wonderful Russia is I went to Russia I had a brilliant time in Russia but I'm not an idiot I don't I know exactly what went down in Russia okay so this is the score now when you get the authorities you've got FIFA you've got UEFA you've got the FA you've got all these other people who are pussyfooting around actually dealing with the issues and the football clubs this, to me, is a big problem. We've had a problem at Brentford. You've got a problem at other football clubs. You've got a problem in and around at football. And none of these fuckers really want to deal with it because the, dealing with the real issue is hard. It's really, really difficult. And who ends up suffering is the fans. 
It's the fans that end up suffering because if the clubs don't deal with it, shit happens in and around all these football grounds that everyone else has to deal with. See, see, Bill, you know, absolutely, you know, a million percent agree with everything you've just said then. But the, the, the problem is with football clubs and football authorities, as soon as you start speaking from the heart like you've just done, they'll, they, they go into lockdown. They'll go, oh, oh, you know, yeah, he, he speaks too much truth. There lies too much truth. There's, there's a problem. And you're right, you know, this has been, been a big problem at Brentford Football Club. Um, and, it, and it wasn't dealt with correctly and it, it was brushed under the carpet and it, it, it lingers on you know we don't we don't need to necessarily go into too much detail because it's like you know that's not our style you know we, we just you know you, it, people that know people know but it's a fact that there's there's an environment within most football grounds where a certain mindset can can grow, it can fester, and it can thrive. And unless people call it out, and unless people make a stand, it it, 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 it people get away with stuff. And then, as always, it's they when once you call someone out, they claim that they're they're the victim, and it, 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 it's not acceptable. You know, we, we we've had instances at Brentford Football Club where if it wasn't Man United or Liverpool, this would be front page news. Because it's Little Old Brentford, it's, it's not made any impact whatsoever. But it doesn't make it any less important, and it doesn't make it any less harmful. The, the football clubs around the country need to stand up, and there needs to be a zero tolerance on homophobic sexist and racist behaviour. And I'm saying, as great as that is, lady, and I'm to sit down, listen, I'm, this is not politically correct. I mean, it's interesting, I watch all these forums, and I've seen that, like, these characters on these forums, they're going, ah, oh, what's the matter with you? A bit of name-calling. You need to be tougher than that and all this kind of stuff. Listen, forget all this nonsense, mate. If you want, half of you anyway, half of these characters out there, they hide behind the internet. They won't even say it to your face anyway. They are, or they hide in gangs of 50 or 100. They're shitters, and I've said this before, they're shitters. They're absolute shitters, and they won't say it to your face. They won't do it to your face. And the problem is, if the clubs don't deal with this in a hardcore way, they're shitters as well. And I've been really quite chilled about this, because, you know, beforehand, I haven't, I haven't really... I've just like let them get on with it and said yes, but at the end of the day, what's happened now in the past few weeks, and I talk, tell you something... I've been going to football for far too long. The same old shit has been going on for far too long. It really pisses me off also as well, the way that everyone goes. It's really great. Football clubs in general, what they all do is they react to high-profile events. Listen, it's no problem. If shit happens out there, it's great that you're going out there doing your whole thing. But what you do, the best way to show that you're doing something is to get a high-profile event, put it out there, get a lot of PR, and everyone goes, you're doing really brilliant, to pat you on the back. So they do all these forums and all these events, you know, even kick it out. Listen, I've been involved in kick it out and all that for years. I know, I know the politics behind it and how it runs. Listen, I'm not saying these things are bad because these things have to be done. However, look at what you're doing. It's very easy to do these high-profile events, get your PR, and everyone says, what a wonderful thing you're doing. Oh, anti-racist, anti-sexist, oh, anti... Oh, that's really great. However, doing the hardcore, nitty-gritty stuff at street ground level... That's hard. And that shit, if you're fucking vying away from doing that stuff, you ain't doing your job. 
You are not doing that job. And most people won't do that because that's hard work. It's just like in marketing. People will throw money at advertising because it's easy to put 100 grand on a TV advert. But if you have to do hardcore, street-level, grassroots marketing on something, that's really... I mean, they all go away from that. They'd rather go and spend for a, a Facebook ad or an internet ad and hit a million people at once than actually go and hit the street and go and meet people face to face and there's a very similar thing here let's show everyone we're doing it by boom let's go in top level but we won't deal with the hardcore ground level stuff because that's a lot harder stuff to do and i'm telling you it happens everywhere it's happening at our club it's happening at other clubs it's happening in the fia's football league and they need to actually start working out a different strategy if they really want to do it rather than doing it face value all mouth no action listen but look it's a bit of a rant going on there. You can see it's fun passion. And this came from the radio show, which was 8 till 9 o'clock. Check out prideofwest.london. I'm pulling back a little bit here because we want to talk about positive issues, positive issues with Brentford black players. We're going to be talking about Black History Month after this little section. So, yes, coming back, we're going to talk about Black History Month. But there's one other point I just have to say very quickly. It's interesting because a lot of people have known me for years down at Brentford, and most of the time I'm very passive and I just chill out, you know. But, um, but any time I little go off on one a little bit, and people go, ah, oh, Bill, he's out of order. He's talking about race. He's out of order. What's he talking about? Oh, yeah, he's calling out Brentford fans. Calling out Brentford fans about racism. And I just I sit there and I think, did they not actually realise I'm black? Do they not actually realise that this thing has affected me my whole life? They're sitting down there thinking, you must not do, you know, you must not do this. You that person over there, even though if they have done something which is really wrong, you have no right to call them out. Do they just not? I, I, honestly, I, I cannot fathom the, the, the nonsense that's going through people's heads when this kind of happens there. At the end of the day, and I'm going to say this straight up, I don't say it a lot. I've, been, I've done 500 plus podcasts on here. And I don't sit there going, oh, but I am a black Brentford fan who have been going to football for years and I have seen a lot of shit at the time I've been going to football. I've been seen more shit than most people that have been out there and I've continued to go to football. I've taken a bit of shit and I've given back a little bit of shit as well and I do not think it's right. So at, every now and again, when I see stuff like this has happened, boom, I snap a little bit and I'll tell you exactly how I feel. And if people want to chat to me about it I've said this the whole time don't do this Twitter nonsense 280 characters rubbish come down the pub I drink in the Globe every single Saturday come down and have a drink I'll even buy you a pint even if you're not happy with what I say I will buy you a drink and I will talk to you just like the story I talked about when I tried to talk to that Polish idiot neo-nazi guy who told they didn't like people i said i'll buy you a beer and i'll give you an hour to tell me why you don't like black people because i'm quite happy to talk to people even though i do not necessarily agree with them laney trouble is mate you're going to get no take up on that you're going to get a few people that are going to call you a nonce and a snowflake that's that unfortunately that's what you're going to get but that's what he said right behind the keyboard they will all hide behind the keyboard but if you actually have to have a conversation which is over 280 characters there's a lot of people that aren't involved in that but listen let's bring it round from that actually there's one, one other point I want to say as well is um, just quickly I talked about these high profile events as well there was also and mentioned that there was a situation just before the international break the last international break where unfortunately a Brentford fan was accused of, of, of racism it was a situation where it was handed over to the police very quickly boom it was another high profile event 
and it quickly escalated. The press were accusing him. Everyone is accusing him. It's come down to... It wasn't Derby County. It was Derby County last season, yeah. Um, it's come down to the fact that there was absolutely nothing to answer for and this person has been exonerated. There's been nothing said about this. Now... On one side, I'll turn around and I'll say we will call out racists all day. There's some people out there in our club that will not call out racists. They'll turn around and say, we're anti-racist, yeah, yeah, we don't believe in it. But they won't call people out. And I'm thinking, if you don't call them out, then whose side are you really on? But on the flip side of it, we'll also have to call out situations. If people have been accused of things and they haven't done it, then you have to actually say, is this situation really right? And I actually thought at the time the situation was a little bit strange because the fact is that, A, you're... Um, innocent to prove guilty and also the fact is that it just accelerated to another high profile event it was a player who had made an accusation and clubs love to jump on that if a fan made an accusation that somebody had made a, 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 a homophobic or a sexist or a racist abuse that has never acted in the same way with such severity and such swiftness as if a player does. So that's another thing I can say to you. There's a laziness in clubs to actually act on the high-profile events and not act... You must act on the low-profile events as quickly and as hardcore as you act on the high-profile events. And this proves to you that at the end of the day is that, boom, you think that you can extinguish it by believing... You make the whole profile event, you put it out there, say, we are doing something at racism. Listen, I'm not knocking Brentford, because sure, of course you want to get rid of it and expose, uh, and, and expose it and make sure it's not in the club, because it's going to embarrass you. But at the same time, you have to do it in the right way. And I think that this situation has come about now where this person has gone under a lot of grief and he's been exonerated, but nothing's really been said of it. And sometimes if you make mistakes... You have to put your hand up and say, this is a mistake that's been made. And at the same time, when there's problems that have been happening before, put your hand up because people will have respect for you if you say, I have made a mistake, we have done something that is wrong, but this is how we are actually trying to make it better. Problem is, you get the feeling that football treats... The thing is, football treats the fans as disposable. So when something happens like that, a fan gets thrown under the bus. We've seen events happen on the pitch... Um, between two players and when a player's accused clubs generally tend to close ranks around that player and no it never happened and before there's any investigation and you know they're not they're not treating you know yeah it'll be a five game ban you're looking when it happens to you know when it happens to a fan the actual effect that that happens happens on fans you're falsely accused of racism can be absolutely devastating you know, you're banned from the ground. You know, you, you, it can affect your employment. You know, they, they're not going to say that, you know, football, football gets an eight-match ban. Like, a fan could lose his job, and, you know, you know the effect that can have on a family. So, so listen, I mean, we're trying to move on to positive things. I mean, I'll say to you, Chris Powell is a player that I've got an enormous amount of respect for. He did a panel that I did for Kick It Out quite a few years back when he was playing for England. And since then, we I've talked to him on all the time. We WhatsApp each other, we chat to each other. When I went to St George's Park last week with my daughter, he gave us a little tour around and he introduced us to Harry Kane and 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 and, and, and all the players, you know, the Winks and the, you know. And, and the Mason Mount and, you know, the, the Trent Alexander-Arnold. And, you know, we just introduced him to all of the players, you know, and he's, he is an absolutely great player. And he, he's a real ambassador, I think, for England and, and for how things are right. And also he's got a fantastic attitude. And um, listen, the reason why I say that is because for him, he is a player 
a non-Brentford player that I have tipped me at to in Black History Month because I think that he has he's he's come from being a player to being a manager to being an assistant manager to being sacked a number of times for non-performance inverted commas to moving on to actually now being an England coach and I was there and I was so proud of being at St George's with him and he was doing his job there and flying the fag and he was so positive about all the players out there Chris Bauer but I'm just going to bring it back to Brentford as well and it's just going to make some more positive sounds about Brentford players and players who have come into the Brentford team who have actually really resonated to you fly the flag who you can celebrate in Black History Month as if you may or may not know October is Black History Month GP yeah so I mean I guess two stand out for me number one would have been like Francis Joseph in like you know the first time I went to see Brentford was he wasn't playing because he had his broken leg but you know I'd read about him in the same picture of him in the Chronicle and like the local papers and you know so I was looking, getting looking looking forward to seeing him the other one was probably um, Lloydy the fact that um, you know it's around the time you know a couple of years earlier I'd got my first like season ticket but you know when we kind of won the league in that team with Lloydy you know it's the first time that I'd had an actual really successful Brent season as a Brentford fan and you know with him spearheading the attack and scoring the goals and the Razor Roof celebration etc so yeah it did, really did resonate with me Ali Ali Mullally I'm just wondering who for you Brentford Black players would you like to celebrate who you just who just resonate with you you just thought they really did something for you or your family or or just something or for Brentford in itself well, I'm just going to be really up to date because I think um, Romain Sawyers was a fantastic ambassador for the club. He did a huge amount of community work while he was with us and a lot of it unreported, a lot of it that a lot of people don't know about. Um, and he was he was a, a superb player to watch on the pitch and um, still miss him. And yeah, it was really great to see a player come in and embrace the whole ethos of the Community Sports Trust, which he, he really did. And uh, you know, he, he carried on going out into the community, even at times when he wasn't sort of on official duty. And I, I think he was a great ambassador to the club and a fantastic player to watch. Laney, give us your thoughts. So, yeah, so I, I need to kind of pretty much echo GP, really. I mean, like, Francis Joseph was was probably like like the archetypal Brentford striker of the the early 80s and the fact that he was black and he was like you know he was you know not you have to say the word accepted I mean it, it seems really bizarre that you could say that I mean why why wouldn't he be accepted but he was a black player at Brentford at the time and he, and he, and he was just incredibly great striker we got him from Wimbledon and he, he smashed the goals in. And then Roger, his brother, Roger Joseph played for Brentford. Um, we also had players like, obviously, you know, Chris Kamara, um, who was the first, um, first player to give in a debut that was um, recognised as a, as, a, as a player of, uh, of, of colour. Um, and you know you have, you have players like you know like um, Andy Anser and Richard Cadet and you know the, 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 it, it, it continued. Keith Jones, what a player Keith Jones was in the middle of the park. 
you know, so it there was a, there was a wave of Brentford players that that lit up our football club. It's interesting you say that. I mean, you say Chris Kamara was the first uh, black player to play for Brentford, and I'll, I'm going to come onto that when I have my say in a minute. But however, do you know who the first black player to have actually played for Brentford was? Well, thanks to um, Paul Briers, the Wanderer Bee, we do, Bill. And Bill, I think it's for you to announce who it who it could have been. I think it's fair, you know, I, I think it's, it's best coming from you. Uh, well, I think the player was a player called Felix Leotard. He was actually a Trinidadian, okay, and uh, he had a lot of French-sounding surname. And uh, he actually came from... Uh, let's say Trinidad and he played for uh, Tooting College is that right as well and he actually played for Brentford in 1890 was it 1897 uh, uh, well yeah it says here that in the 1891 census um, his brother Felix and and Francis they were residing in uh, in boarding at Beaumont College New Windsor Berkshire as students both born in Trinidad um there's a newspaper clipping um, of an F.J. Leonard, sorry, he's a winger playing, playing as a footballer for two in college and his brother as a defender. Um, so, yeah, they, late 1800s, Brentford could, you know, there's, there's, there's still no mention of his skin colour. But the fact that he was a Trinidadian player, he played for Trinidad uh, uh, cricket as well, and then he became um, he became the um, president of the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association from 1916 to 1919, then again from 21 to 28, and lastly from 31 to 34. He, he does seem to be um, a black man, I would say. Again, we're just presuming there, but yes, I think you know, props to him. Uh, the, the Leotard who played for Brentford in the, oh, before, the 1900s. before the 1900s which is pretty amazing um, before we moved to Griffin Park even you know what I'm saying cheers. yeah cheers cheers to the Leotard but you know but to me I'm to say as well for me who is my black icons as well a lot of people that listen to this podcast you would have heard this story numerous times that there are people that may have not listened to this podcast you now I went to Brentford started going in the 70s and the 80s I was absolutely annihilated kicked around the place big right wing neo right wing neo whatever you want to call it following um, national front used to get beaten up by our own supporters so and it was a, I was a lone face on the terraces um, all the players on the pitch were all white at the time and at that time because there were not that many black icons in the UK you'd look out for any icon didn't matter who they played for or where they were and you'd really be into them, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, if you had black icons, you'd be like, oh, I really love that player because he's a black person who is doing something in this country where there was a hell of a... Listen, you talk about now, but there was... Honestly, the racism in those days was properly hardcore. So, I remember playing for Brentford and when I saw little little nubs or little, 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 little shoots of a black player actually coming through on the pitch, for me... That was one of the best things that would ever happen. And I said to you, I'm sure there's a player that was on the bench who never actually made it beforehand, but the first player who actually made his debut for Brentford, I remember, or was signed, was Chris Kamara. And I actually remember when Chris Kamara got signed for Brentford. I was so excited. A black player was signed for Brentford. I went down the club because I wanted to go and try and meet him because I really wanted to meet this black person, this Brentford, because I, all of a sudden I related to somebody 
who would also relate stuff to me. And I, I'd met him a few times and he was really nice and he was kind of cool. But also the other thing is there's a couple of other players I want to mention as well who really resonated with me. One of them was Keith Jones. And the reason why Keith Jones is because, because it was so aggy at the time and people would actually cause lots of problems on the terraces and there was lots of racism, lots of Zeke Harling, lots of stuff that you saw in Bulgaria would go on actually on the terraces at Griffin Park and in the UK. Zeke Harl, there ain't no black in the Union Jack, send the buses back, Zeke Harl, all that kind of stuff. That was properly prominent at Griffin Park. You may not believe me, but you ask your mates out there, that was cool. So can you imagine as a black person standing in front of that, your own fans that were doing that kind of stuff. Keith Jones was a player that a lot of fans actually didn't like because he was, he was pro- as we call it, he was rags. He was rags. He did not take no shit. So Chris, Chris was kind of cool, but Chris understood about inverted commas. I hate people saying playing the game, but he, he understood how to, uh, to, 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 to not upset people in the situation. He upset what it was. Whereas Keith Jones was a player who was like, I don't care. He'd grown up at Chelsea as well. I mean, he'd, he'd come through the ranks of Chelsea, which certainly was known for shrinking violence. Oh, I'm telling you, and Keith Jones, I love Keith Jones, because Keith Jones did not take no shit. So it's almost like, and we met him loads of times, he was just like, I ain't taking none of this shit from no one. If anyone says anything to me or does anything to me, on the pitch he used to get lots of racist abuse, but he used to give it back. And I remember speaking to other, because we used to interview a lot of players, stuff like that, and I remember other players saying to me, oh, I ain't that Teeth Jones, you know, that black bastard, blah, this, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, no, no. you're talking to me here, but the reason why they didn't like him is because he was tough enough and hard enough to stand up to them. And in them days, when the players were like that, they had to basically shrink and do what other people say. You find, like, you find in life that the racists don't like being fronted out. They're not, they're not brave enough to admit that they are what they are. And uh, anyone, that, anyone that stands up to them or, 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 or outs them is seen as some sort of like, like some sort of like alien. You know, it's just like if, if you if you are what you are, just say what you are. So I mean, Keith Jones was wicked, and Francis Joseph was a similar player as well. He was quite hardcore. He never stood up to nothing. He used to come down there with his dad, um, and also his brothers. And uh, I mean, he used to see them in Ealing, and they, they, they he was fighting in Ealing after the match against people who say anything to him. But you know, you might say that's wrong, but the fact is that. They never took any shit. And especially in that era, when there was so much shit going down as a black person, right? Basically, if anyone did anything to them, they were standing up to them. So I had a lot of respect for them. You might say, oh no, violence. But no, listen, at those days, you needed somebody who, who was actually, you felt was going to stand your corner. Other than that, just coming closer to today's, you know, you talked about Lloyd Wusu. I love Lloyd Wusu. Lloyd Wusu in the newer era. He, he, he got us up, he scored lots of goals for us, and he is an ambassador for our club. So I love Lloyd Abusa as well. I've got to say as well, um, I thought Rich Cadet was incredible. I think Marcus Gale has been just the most brilliant ambassador for this football club as a player. Um, what he went on to achieve after he left Brentford and after his comeback to Brentford and, and probably what he can still offer Brentford. So listen, listen. This is us celebrating Brentford's black players in Black History Month. They've been a, there was a, there was actually only 19 black players in in the 80s, and obviously things have accelerated since then. <laughs> I could go through all of them, you know. Chris Kamara, Terry Rowe, uh, uh, Francis Joseph, Keith Cassells, um, is it Terry Lynch, uh, Fisher, um, H- uh, Henry Hewton, Stanislaus, Obi. I don't remember Obi. Uh, Tony Obi. Oh yeah, Roger Joseph, Keith Jones, um, Kevin Godfrey, um, Seely. 
Ferdinand. Oh, Les Ferdinand, he was on loan though. You know what I'm saying? Uh, is it Williams? Paul Williams, was it? Um, Marcus Gale, Andy Anstar, and Richard Gidet is our players in the 18s. You know what I'm saying? So that's it. And then we moved on from there. So we have to, we have to celebrate all the players. We have to celebrate Brentford. We have to celebrate football. And uh, this is a good time. It's Black History Month. If you don't know anything about history, Black History Month, just go to Google. It's not about politically correct or anything like that. It's just a base of that. Like, we're sitting down there and we're celebrating people who have done wonderful things. They've actually raised the flag. They've, you know, they've raised the bar for, for people like myself who I can actually go out there and I can actually say that I respect what you've done and my kids can go out there and they can aspire to them. Because in this world, where unfortunately, where you see the shit that's got down in Bulgaria, where it's still not equal, you still get actually victimised for your colour. You've got people out there that are doing really positive things under difficult situations. So you've got to raise your flag and you raise your glass and say, good on you. Saturday, the international break is well and truly over. All our players are back from international duty and there's only one game that is on the cards. That is the Millwall game on the Saturday as they come down to Griffin Park managerless as Neil Harris has left the Millwall camp for reasons that we're not quite sure about because he was very, very, very highly regarded at Millwall. We thought, tell you something, instead of us guessing the reasons, we need to actually speak to someone who knows all about Millwall. Talk to Harry Warren from Acton Millwall Podcast. He's going to give us the lowdown on the Millwall. My name is Harry Warren. I support Millwall Football Club for my sins and I podcast for the Acton Millwall Podcast, which can be found at, at CBL underscore the mag. My Twitter handle is at block45lion. I'm 29. been going to a den since I was seven season ticket holder since then what can i say obviously about neil harris going if i'm being totally honest i didn't want him to go um obviously we got a win against leeds but i think that was helped massively by the fact that leeds only had 10 men um for a large well for the best part of 70 75 minutes not to take anything away from um the performance which was magnificent in in many many ways but millwall and Neil Harris go together like fish and chips, pie and mash, uh, you know, maybe leads in the championship with a, with a rise smile. But um, we, as a fan base, um, I think now are starting to realise um, what we had in Neil Harris. Um, unfortunately, the way that football managerial market is means that you look at any particular any particular managers to take over from Neil. You look at either a plethora of talent that has done badly at their past job, which is why they're not in a job. You look at young and up-and-coming League One managers, which a trope from the Neil Harris Out Brigade was that Neil Harris was a League One level manager. Um, which is why I don't want Gareth Ainsworth to get the job because he's a League One level manager. And then you obviously have Adam Barrett, who's unknown, who obviously will be taking charge of Millwall when they come to Griffin Park this Saturday. Previous experience with us being with Brentford, I mean, we never seem to win away at Griffin Park, if I'm being totally honest. Ironically, Neil Harris's first game, I think, 
and he got the job full time as away at Griffin Park. We were two new up, we drew two two, I think, if memory serves. I wasn't at the game. I've never been to Griffin Park, funny enough. It's one of the few London grounds where it always turns out that I'm not available to go. Um which is weird. We never seem to play you early on in the season. We always play you sort of October, November, maybe even cold February type time away at Griffin Park. Obviously, recently, I think we beat you 1-0 either last season or the season... No, we didn't beat you 1-0 last season. We beat you 1-0 the, the season that we went on the Mayor Cat run toward the playoffs. I think last season was a 1-1 draw, or maybe you won 2-1 at the Den. I can't really remember. I remember you scored a goal from, like, 35 yards. It was ridiculous. But... um we used to have a goalkeeper, obviously, last season called Jordan Archer, who was terrible with any shot that was sort of outside his six-yard box. So um, I don't think you'll be able to do that this time. You playing him, basically, that's really all I remember about Brentford. I don't really remember any players playing for Brentford that have come to us. Maybe I think maybe Scott Barron played for you guys and then come to us, but I'm not too sure if he did. Yeah, it's a London derby. It isn't really a derby, to be honest. Um, I, I say it with the greatest deal of respect. I also feel the same way about Fulham and the same way about QPR. Really, QPR's hatred of Millwall and Millwall's hatred of QPR is based around Ian Holloway, who is a fraud. Um, and that's all I'm going to say on Ian Holloway. We, realistically, Millwall this season, we've been good in games. We haven't really got the results that I think sometimes I play as men, we've got Matt Smith up front. Tom Bradshaw has come back into the side and has looked like Lee Gregory's um, natural replacement, maybe with better finishing, if I'm being totally honest. Them two together would have been an absolute potent strike partnership. You're looking at 40 goals a season, really, I think. Maybe 30. Jeb Wallace is someone that you guys will have to watch out for, I'm sure you know. The other bit of Millwall's play is Ben Thompson, who I think, and I generally do mean this, is the best centre midfielder in the division um, on his day. A good old-fashioned, um, all-action midfielder that every midfield needs. You need that man in the middle. That's who I'd watch out for. If I'm being totally honest, I haven't seen anything of Brentford this season. And therefore, I, I can't say you. I know that obviously you used to have Dan Bentley, who used to be... Um, I don't know if he's still there, if he is, he's got, a, he's got a mistake in him, let's put it that way. But on his day, he can be the difference between losing and uh, and winning because he makes key saves in key moments. Mill will also have a goalkeeper very much like that, uh, a mistake-prone goalkeeper, or not mistake-prone, but can make an error, but also can make ridiculous saves in Bartos Bilikowski, um, obviously who's been away on the international duty this week, and we'll be back to the Lions for Saturday. I'd have major problems. Millwall were to suddenly not play in blue anymore. There's only really two colours that Millwall have ever played in, in my sort of time of following the Lions. And mainly the first colour we played in is obviously blue. But we also had this period in the early 2000s of playing in white. Quite like Millwall in white. Um, so I wouldn't have a problem with us playing in white. You'll probably, you might see us in white. Our away kit is yellow. Um... But we have a third kit, which is white, which, um, yeah, we got promoted, I think, 2000, 2001, or maybe 99, 2000, a white Giorgio kit that was a nice number for those that like a retro retro kit vibe. In terms of the match on, uh, the match on Saturday, I think that Millwall's away form is abysmal. We haven't won away from home. I think our last away win might have been Ipswich last season. Um, on New Year's Day, which I think I was there for. I don't think we've won a game away from home since then. Um, we get points away on the road. We're set up, but that was under the under the previous manager. Now, what Adam Barrett will 
decide to do away at Brentford. He is one of the three names named as a favourite for the Millwall job. Um, so maybe you might see an attacking lineup from the Lions. I expect us to maybe go four, five, one. It's not a real four, five, one. It's more five, four, four, one, one. Um, with Ben Thompson sitting behind, um, Ben Thompson sitting behind Tom Bradshaw up front. Millwall have a lot better squad than what they did last season, and depending, depending if they get off to a good start and don't concede first, you will find it hard to break Millwall down. They are industrious. They have moved, well, he moved back on uh, before the international break to returning the best, well, when they're on form, one of the best centre-half partnerships in the division in uh, Jake Cooper and Sean Hutchinson back to the back to the defence. Where will Brentford be able to attack us, however, is the fact that Millwall don't have a recognised left-back at the club, Um for some unknown reason, James Meredith seemingly has disappeared off the face of the earth and ended up in Australia for some unknown reason. No one really knows the reasons why. There's rumours online which I won't touch on. Um, and Millwall Marlon Romeo, who on his day is fantastic or abysmal. There is no in-between with him. He's not a 5 out of 10 player. He's either a 1 or a 10. Um, so that's really how I feel the game might go. Um Obviously, hopefully it's a good game and it'll be your last one at Griffin Park, which will be a shame because I won't tick the ground off my list. But I'll definitely have to come and see you guys in your new stadium when you get in there. My score prediction is a 1-1 draw. Mill will probably score first and concede late on. So that was Harry Warren from Acton Millwall podcast. Just giving us the lowdown on Millwall. A bit disappointed that Neil Harris had left. But, you know, he knows that things have got to move on. He's going to back the new manager, whoever it's going to be. And he thinks it's going to be a draw between the Bees, which, to be quite honest with you, <laughs> listen, anything can happen on Saturday because we've got absolutely no idea what is going on. But one thing that we do know that is going on is that Brentford are going to be dressed in Millwall colours. Well, not quite, but sort of on Saturday. Some sort of commemorative kit, which we're going to be wearing, which means that Millwall won't be wearing the blue which the Millwall fans according to Harry aren't too happy about yeah this is uh, this is this is out this is like a surprise um, obviously Brentford played at Griffin Park for the first time in 1904 and the kit that they played in at the time um, looked absolutely nothing like the commemorative kit they're going to play in on Saturday um, there was yellow bits in it and uh, they've, they've they've not done that so you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to slag them off for, for trying to, to, to produce something special because I've seen that it comes in a box and it's, and it's this and it's that. But it's 60 quid. And 60 quid for a shirt, I've I, I got to say, is a bit... It's north. It's north of 40. You know, it's 20, it's 20 quid too much, really. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one because, obviously, we, we need to mark... The leaving of Griffin Park um, well, but we don't need to be ripping off people. Only the first 400 come in the box, and then after that you still pay your 60 quid, and it's still, it sticks out the same. It's, it's, it's a nice idea, I think it's a really nice looking shirt, but it's horrendously overpriced, horrendously overpriced. I, 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 I think you're fleecing the fans a bit for a bit of nostalgia, to be honest. To be honest, it's a football shirt, so you know, by you know, definition, it's overpriced. But um, to be honest, I think 
is it one for speculators more than some, you know, so probably not something you, you know, you might not be wearing something that price to play five aside lest it get torn, etc. Actually, it's, it's a non-essential bit of kit, you know. Um, you know, the red and white stripe shirt is our home kit. The, the you know, the, the, the dark blue-black shirt with a, with, a, with a, you know, the yellow um, badge is the away kit. This is the third kit. It's not an essential bit of memorabilia. If you want to buy it, buy it. If you don't, don't. You know, 60 quid is a lot of money. It's way too much money for it. But, you know, no one's going to, you're not any less of a fan for not buying it. If you want it, it's probably going to be worth 200 quid in four years. Just a question, I mean, lady, I mean, I know that you've got your, you've done a number of historical books for Brentford. You know, you've done, the, you know, your, the 100 years of Brentford book, the 70s, 80s, 90s book, and you've got the new Harry Curtis book, which is going to be out very soon, which people have to, to go onto the website, the Legends Publishing website, and they go out there, put your name, and you go on there, you can actually get your name in the book, which is just a little bit of a plug there for you as well, which is all good. But flipping it back to this, and the Millwall quit on the historian front, this blue kit, um, I mean, I remember Brentford wearing a blue and yellow kit. Is, it, is this something that I may have missed? Uh, so the blue and yellow kit, you know, or yellow and blue, was the Brentford kit up until 1920, probably. Um, I, th- I don't think the first time we played in red and white stripes was until, like, 21, 22, um, that, that kind of time. In, in 1920, we played in a white shirt. Um, so we, we were yellow and blue, blue and yellow in different V's and stripes and bits and bobs for for a number of years. And, and, and flipping it back to actually like the um, commercial side of things, setting the price on something is very, it's very difficult. It, it's, you know, you, obviously you want to you be able to sell a lot, so you don't want to make it too expensive, but then you just don't, you know, if, it, if it's a thing of um, quality, and, and you, you equally, it needs to be a little bit more. It needs to have a premium price, but... Did we actually play in a blue kit? That's what I'm asking. I've got no idea. So we've never played in an all-blue kit. And this is like a two-tone blue from what I've seen of it. We've only played in blue and yellow stripes. And we did, we, you know, I don't know what year it was. I think it was, a, I think it was a 2004, 2005, or 2005, 2006. It was 100 years of Griffin Park season. It was in 4-5, where we had a yellow or purple and blue, purple and yellow kind of... Martin Allen era. Yeah, Martin Allen. So that, so that was as near to the kit that this one's trying to pay homage to that we've had. The current kit, that this new third kit isn't anything that we've ever played in we've never played in a blue and blue kit it's always been blue and yellow and there's no yellow as far as i know in this in this kit and that's not to say it's an awful idea because it does look great but 60 quid i probably i probably won't be buying one in fact i won't be buying one but you know if you've got one of the box ones and they're one of the 400 and you see what kits go for in the future it's, it's almost like a collector's edition. So I'm not going to slag them off too much for it because it's not like it's your home kit, the only one, and you have to pay 60 quid for it. That's not the case. This is, a, this is an extra item that may appeal to some people but probably won't appeal to most. So look, Millwall coming down on Saturday. 
we've had a bit of a break. It's been a really good international break for me. I mean, I had a totally football, like lack of football with the weekend last. I literally watched Netflix, things that I just don't normally do. My daughter didn't have a match on the Sunday even, so Saturday and Sunday, I was literally just in front of the TV, eating stuff, junk food, that kind of stuff. It was really great. So I, I sponged my mind of the football vibe. So I'm actually kind of ready for what's going on now, which is all, all and I didn't do the international, didn't go away to England. So honestly, I've, I've been rinsed off the football thing that's going on. So Saturday, we've got Millwall that's coming down. And I'm wondering whether or not the team is going to be as ready for this game as I am, because I'm actually quite ready for this at the moment now. So what do you think, Ali? Well, I hope they are, because we're all waiting for it. We're all, we're all wanting to get a, a win on the cards and uh, hopefully see a bit of a coming out of the, flying out of the blocks at the start of the international break, at, at the end of the international break. Great question. So, I mean, look, look international break's finished. We know Sergi Canos is out. What changes do you think that we're going to, have to need to make to this team to be effective against the Millwall side, who are always difficult? Uh, that's, that's quite a difficult question, actually. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the one of the band that I think it might be a good chance to give Corellis a go and see if if he's if he could be the the answer. Because I think we could get more out of Ollie if he's pushed out a little bit wider. Um, I'd like to see us try and bring the ball out of defence a bit more than we do. There's a lot of we've lost with, uh, you know, we've had players like Mepham, Tarkovsky, to an extent Conso, who could bring the ball out of defence. And it's at the, this season it's been really noticeable that it nobody's willing to bring it out um, and to sort of like be a bit more of a Beckenbauer role. I think we need to do that. Um, Otherwise, it's just going to be this gap between the defence and, and the attack. And I think Millwall might exploit that. I think they're difficult to break down. I think we've got to be a bit more adventurous in what we're doing. Well, to be honest, I, I think, you know, I'd you know, like to... Similar to Ali, I'd like to see... I think I said this before, I would like to see Ollie a bit deep. I think he makes more things happen. Whereas I think in a couple of games where we've struggled to get the ball to him, um, he, you know he's had quiet games. So I would like the only thing I don't honestly see what other option we've got up front um, now that Force has gone out on low. Uh, but let's not dwell on that. I'm sure that we've waxed lyrical about that a lot recently. Um, but yes, I mean we, this is a game where you're looking for likes of Embuemo to make a mark. As we said, maybe you know. As we said earlier, Josh Clark, you know, a way back in for him as well. So, but to be honest, um, for the game, I can see the game being quite similar to the game a couple of seasons ago where we'd been on a bad run, we hadn't won, and it was a bit of a tense 1-0, but it did kind of spark our season. And hopefully we can, hopefully we can spark our season again. I've got, I've got to say, I, you know, I have to echo what GP's just said and, and Ali to, to a... To a to a greater extent as well. I think this is a big window for Mbwemo, for Corellis and for Josh Clark. And Josh Clark coming in from the cold there as well. I think um, with, uh, with Sergi Canos unavailable for his wing-back wing back duties, we, we do need someone else that can play slightly wider than Dalsgaard. Dalsgaard with, um, with, with uh, Canos outside him was almost like the perfect situation. Both, both of them were, were really excelling there. 
So Josh Clark, I, I, I think this is probably his last chance to make make a name for himself at Brentford. He's, been, he's our longest serving player. Josh Clark is, is he's been at Brentford longer than any other player. You know, that, there, there's, there's a pub quiz for you. Oh, GP, you had another pub quiz question a little bit earlier. Yeah, I did say. Oh, what? Yes, I did say. Um, what have um, John Butterzies and um, Paula Radcliffe got in common? Well, the fact that both of them have lost their records this weekend. So, what records that? Well, Paula Radcliffe lost their marathon record, and John John Butterzies lost the record for the um, most capped Brentford player. And John Butterjees is a player that played for Brentford in the Malta. 80s. And he played for Malta and we called him the Maltese Falcon. And he was living with Steve Perriman at the time. And we will oh, not bit, we will bit, not enlarge bit, on that story bit. anymore. We will move on. We'll move on to John Terry's mum. No, no, we won't actually. But yeah, if anyone goes out there, there, there are a few rumours flying around at the time. But we will not enlarge on those rumours anymore. But listen, Millwall, they're coming down. And I'm going to say to you, I mean, the thing is that we don't want to do is we don't want to go behind that Millwall because they're very good at protecting the lead. So if they go ahead, we're going to struggle. They're very good at creating storing chances. They're very good at aerial duels. They're very good at attacking set aerial pieces. Duels. Yeah, so they're very good like in the air. Sort of like yeah, some sort of sword, sword fighting kind of, you know. So they're very good. You know, they're good in the air. They're good, basically. They get the ball and they'll score, you know. They're also very good at defending set pieces as well. So, you know, we have to be careful about them. But where they're weak is they're weak at finishing scoring chances so they get a lot of chances they don't they don't finish them off uh, also they lose the ball a lot you know keeping possession of the ball are not great and also defending against through balls as well they're very very weak and you know we know we can hit them you know they, they, they play with width they attempt crosses quite often they like to play the long ball they take a lot of shots and uh, they like to attack down the right hand side so this is where we need to concentrate on actually this Millwall team because this is a game They've got no manager at the moment now, and they're not very good away from home, as you heard Harry say, that we should and we need to win. Going round the table here, how do you think we're going to do? GP? Well, as I said before, I think it's going to be a tense 1-0 victory. The Malali. I can't disagree with what GP's just said. Tense 1-0 victory for me too. Laney? Class. Class will win through. 3-0 Bs. And for myself, and we're not getting above ourselves here, but I think that we need to get back on track. And if we don't win 2-0, there's something seriously wrong going on. So, listen, this is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. I'm going to say for now, hold on a second, I apologise for swearing. I swore a lot more than I ever do in the podcast, but I was getting animated. I had a little bit of anger going on there, and I was actually telling you exactly how I felt. So, I apologise for anyone there who may have been upset or maybe offended by a little bit of swearing that was going on. But listen... I was also telling a few tales, and the people around here were telling tales of what was going on. Listen, we're Brentford, we love our club, we want things to be right, and at the end of the day, we just don't need, we don't need the idiots, we don't need the nonsense going on out there, so that's the way it goes. We're playing Millwall on Saturday, we're back on track, we haven't had football for a couple of weeks on the club front, we're looking forward to it going on, we're going to go to the pub, we're going to have a few drinks. I'm looking forward to meeting my Millwall mates, the Millwall halfway line and my chums and all that lot. We'll have a good beer with them and we'll have a good day on Saturday as we say.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.